I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is that you take them out of the world. So my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and had, uh, the, and then the world then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to you to Reality Church London, especially if you're new. Hope a chance to get to know you after service. My name is Bijan, the pastor for our church. And uh, also, thank you. Many of you have been praying for me and my family. We welcomed our new baby boy almost three weeks ago. And so we're enduring some sleepless nights, but are very glad he's here. And so thank you for praying for us and all your support. We appreciate it. Today, we're in John 17. This passage has sometimes been described the holy of holies in the Bible. This is the longest prayer of Jesus Christ and it's being prayed on the night before his death. And so it would be fitting for us to pray even as we begin to look at Jesus's prayer. So let's do that now together. Our God, thank you for the chance to gather and to open your word. And we pray even as our Bibles are now open in front of us that you would open our hearts to hear what your spirit wants to say to this church today. Please guide my words, may they exalt Christ and may they be helpful. And for all of us, we pray for a powerful revelation of the love and the presence of Jesus. We need him today. In different ways and to different degrees, we need the presence of Jesus Christ powerfully in each of our hearts this morning. So please be with us now as we look at your word and make Jesus real to us, we ask for his glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus, as I've said, on the night before his death is praying. And that's significant because when a person knows they're about to die, they choose their words very carefully. They only say the things that matter most. And so when you read John 17, what's amazing is what Jesus is praying for. He's not praying mostly for himself, but he's actually looking down the corridor of time and he's praying for his church. He's praying for his people. And so we can say that actually on the night before Jesus' death, as he prayed there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying for you. He was praying for us. He was praying for Reality Church London. And what I want to do with you in just a couple of moments is meditate on what Jesus was praying for. And here is why we're doing this. 
If you've been a part of our church since the past February, you'll remember that we've been in a series called Church Alive. We've been looking at the book of Acts, and each Sunday we've been asking the question, what does it mean for us to be a church that's alive in London, a church that brings God glory, a church that advances good in our city, a church that makes Jesus known? And so each week we've been looking at Acts and learning a little bit more about what it would mean to be a church alive. But today, as we near the end of the series, it'll end next week, we're actually stopping asking the question, what do we need to do? And we're actually turning our attention to see what is Jesus doing for us? We get to rest in the work of Jesus as he prays for us. And so that's why we're looking today at John chapter 17. So looking at this very beautiful and sobering passage, it's a difficult passage to preach. It's like being on the top of Mount Everest, just glorious. But in order to guide us through our time today, there's three things that I wanna show you about what Jesus is praying for you, for us, for our church. He's praying for our safety, he's praying for our mission, and he's praying for our unity. So safety, mission, and unity. Let's just take a few minutes and meditate on those things. So first with me, if you would, look at verse 15. There in John 17 and verse 15, Jesus says this, my prayer is not that you take them, the church, my people, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He's praying for our protection. He's praying for your safety. And that prayer, the first thing to note, that prayer assumes that life is going to be hard. Jesus himself, just a few verses before this in John 16, when he was talking to his church, he said, in this world you will have trouble. And we know that that oftentimes life is unspeakably hard. Many of you right now are bearing burdens and trials that testify to that. Your life is really hard. The things that you're going through are weighing you down. They might be external pressures. They might be internal burdens and feelings. But in this world, you'll have trouble. Jesus said it. And he actually begins now in this prayer, praying that his church would be protected. I think we have to remind ourselves that just because someone's a Christian doesn't mean their life's going to be easier. Actually, and many of you know, when you became a Christian, your life got harder. There were more challenges, there were more trials, there were more persecutions. And on top of that, there is a kind of question that Christians go through when they're in the midst of trial. It's something like this, I believe in God, I love God. I believe he's out there, that he loves me and he's all powerful. So why is he letting all this bad stuff happen to me? That's one of the questions that creeps into your heart when you as a person of faith go through suffering, when you go through trouble and trial. If God really loves me, why is he letting this happen? And Jesus says, I know your life's gonna be tough. I know that there's gonna be all kind of trouble. So he prays to the Father, protect them. Keep them safe. But notice he does not pray that we would be spared the trial. He doesn't say, Father, take them out of the world. He says, protect them in the midst of it. Jesus' prayer is a promise not that you'll be delivered from all your trials, but you'll be seen safely through them. That his presence will be with you to guide you and protect you. 
And so that's the first thing. And I want you to hear that today. Some of you right now need to know that in the midst of your trouble, Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is interceding for you. Jesus is pleading on your behalf. The burdens that you're carrying, the experiences that are weighing you down, Jesus is your friend standing with you shoulder to shoulder, praying for you and standing on your side. He's praying for his church, for their safety and for their protection. That's the first thing. But the second thing, and we'll spend a little bit more time here that Jesus prays for, is the church's mission. Let me read to you verse 18. Verse 18 of the passage, Jesus says, As you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. That word sent, in Latin the word is missio, and it's where we get our word mission. And Jesus is saying, in effect, now at the end of his life, God the Father, you sent me, Jesus, into the world with a mission. But now that my earthly life is ending, I'm sending your church, I'm sending my people to carry on my mission, to live with mission. So we ask the question, this is on Jesus' heart, it's the, the burden of his life at the very end. What does it mean to have a mission? Well, we can start by defining mission this way. A mission may be your job, but not necessarily. You see, for many of you, you go to work, you go to your job, and you tolerate it. It's not the thing that fills you with joy. It's not the thing that you feel like, this is what I'm living for. But that thing in your life, that purpose in your life that you say, this is what I would do no matter what. Even if no one paid me, this is what's most important to me. That's your mission. It's the thing that captivates your heart. It's the thing that captivates your imagination. And you would say, even if I'm inconvenienced, even if I'm made uncomfortable, I have to pursue this. Well, that's your life mission. And my question for you is, what is your life's mission? You know, what's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? What's the thing that you say, this is the North Star that animates everything about who I am and everything that I want to do? You see, everyone needs a mission in life. A missionless life is a joyless life. You know, when God made the world in Genesis chapter 1, God created paradise and he made Adam and Eve and he put them there in the garden. And so here you have a perfect world. There's no brokenness, there's no evil, there's no sin. Everything is as it should be. And you know what God gives Adam? A mission. He gives him a job. He says, I want you, see this beautiful creation? I want you to tend it. I want you to steward it. I want you to cultivate it. In other words, in this perfect paradise, God doesn't say, put your feet up and relax. Somebody's going to bring you a drink. He gives him a job to do because that's part of our humanity. Being on mission is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. A missionless life is a joyless one. And so Jesus, as he's now coming to the end of his mission, is saying to the Father, please be with my people as they carry on this mission. Do you have a mission? What is your mission in life? Leo Tolstoy, the Russian author from the 19th century, in his confessions, revealed the importance of mission. He wasn't writing necessarily from a perspective of Christian faith. But listen to what he said at the end of his life in his confessions about this very topic. He says, my question the one that brought me to the point of suicide when I was 50 years old was a most simple one, and it lies on the soul of every person. 
from a silly child to a wise old man? It is the question without which life is impossible. And here it is. What will come of what I do today or tomorrow? What will come of my entire life? Expressed another way, the question can be put like this. Why do I live? Is there any meaning in my life that will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death that awaits me? Those are sobering questions. Maybe you've asked them. Maybe you've said, what's it all for? What's the purpose? Jesus wants you to realize that he's given you a mission. A mission that can captivate and (laughs) grab every part of your life and give you joy and purpose all the way to the end. You're saying, okay, what's that mission? Again, look at verse 18. As the Father sent Jesus into the world, so he's sending you. The mission that will animate your life and give you joy beyond all telling is to carry on Jesus's mission. It's to extend Jesus's work in the world. That means whatever your job, whatever your hobbies, whatever your passions, whatever your temperament, some of you are bold and gregarious and outgoing, some of you are shy and introverted, whatever your temperament, whatever you do with your job, whatever you have in terms of relationships, the mission in life that Jesus gives is to make known his love in the world. That's the mission that Jesus has given you. It's to saturate every part of our life. Evangelism is not something we're supposed to do once in a while. It's to be the orbit of every part of our life. It's to say to our world, it's to say to our friends, it's to say in every part of life, Jesus has come to bring healing. Jesus has come to make the world whole. Jesus has come to make everything sad come untrue. Let me tell you how he does that. And you know, there's two ways that we carry out this mission in our life. And we as a church want to be a mission-minded church. There's two ways that we do this. First is we use our words. I don't know, some of you, if you've been part of a church for a while, you may have heard the phrase, preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. And the sentiment is good. It's the idea of like live with integrity, be a loving person, be nice to people. And that's how you show Jesus in the world. But I have to say that statement is very misleading. Because the gospel is news. And the only way to share news is with words. It's not just by living a good life, but it's by using your words to tell people Jesus has come to save the world. And so my question for you is, are there any ways in which you're helping people understand more of the grace and the love of Jesus? By very respectfully, but very winsomely, even very boldly, opening your mouth and telling people about Jesus Christ. That's part of the mission that he's given you. But the second is not just saying the message, but it's also showing the message. It's by the kind of community we form as Christians. And this is the last thing Jesus prays for. It's where we're gonna kind of wrap up our sermon. But in verses 20 through 23 of the passage, Jesus is praying for the church's unity. This is one of the ways we show the love of God in the world Jesus prays for our unity. Now, I'll be a little bit more brief here today because Pastor Gurma is going to be preaching on unity next week. And so I'm really looking forward to that sermon. This is me just teeing him up. But here, and it's astounding to me, that Jesus, as he's praying in the garden, as he's at the end of his life, he's looking down the corridor of time and he's praying that his church would be unified. 
that we would love each other. That's what unity is. It's observable love for each other. And Jesus is praying, God, the Father, please help my people love each other. May they live as a family. May they reflect my love in the world and the ways they care for each other. That's what it means to be a unified community. Jesus himself says that this unity, look with me if you would at verse 21, is astoundingly patterned after the love of God the Father for the Son. Jesus says in verse 21, that all of them, the church, may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's an astounding thing Jesus is praying for. It's this, may the church experience a kind of unity that reflects the unity of the Trinity. Now, that's a very complicated subject, the Trinity. It's a beautiful but difficult doctrine to get our heads around. That God is one and yet three. God is one existing eternally as Father, Son, and Spirit. You're saying, I have questions about that. See me after. I don't know that I'll answer all of them, but we can talk about it. But the point here of Jesus' prayer, which we need to grasp, is the Trinity is this perfect example of unity without uniformity. Oneness without sameness. Difference without division. The Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. And yet they act perfectly harmoniously in love and in glory sharing. And Jesus says, that's the kind of unity that I want for my people. I do not want you to be all the same, but I want you to be of one heart and one mind. I want you to love each other. I want you to care for each other. I want you to sacrifice for one another. Because as you do, when you learn to live together as a family that's unified, even though you're not uniform, that is proof to a watching world of the healing power of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' prayer is not that we wouldn't have differences. We do and we should. But it's that we wouldn't be divided. It's that we'd be a unified, reconciled community. And so this is the prayer of Jesus for his church here at the very end of his life. God, protect them. They're going to go through trials and troubles. Keep them safe. May they be on mission. May they live not just for themselves, but for something much bigger than themselves. May they be about advancing my gospel in the world, telling people about the healing power of Jesus. And may they love each other. May they put the good of another person ahead of themselves. That's what Jesus is praying for. And you know, we know that Jesus' prayer, it's rooted in love and it's filled with power. Why? Because of what would happen the next day. Hours after Jesus prays this prayer, he's betrayed. He's taken to the cross and he dies a sacrificial death, a substitutionary death, dying in your place and in my place. And you know what's astounding to me? What's, what's just astounding is Jesus here in John 17, he knows he has hours left. He knows he's about to die a very, very, a gruesome death. And he's praying for others. He's praying for people that are about to abandon him, who are about to run from him, who are about to betray him. He's praying for them. You see, sometimes we think that we don't deserve God's love. 
that we don't, we haven't earned God's favor because of all the ways we fall short or all the ways that we're so aware of our failures. But Jesus' love is not conditioned on you earning it. It's a gift that he gives purely out of his grace. And we know that because he's praying for the very people who are going to let him down. Dane Ortland, writing about this incredible love of Jesus that we see demonstrated on the cross, puts it this way. We love until we're betrayed. But Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we are forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loves to the end. Christ loved his own all the way through death itself. And he will love you to the end. He will love you to the end because he cannot bear to do otherwise. No exit strategy, no prenup. He'll love you to the end, the end of your life, the end of your sins, the end of your temptations, even to the end of your fears. You are loved and Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for us. This is the promise that we have as God's people. And so as we reflect and conclude this long sermon series on what it means to be the church, let's rest in the prayers of Jesus, in the love of Jesus, and in the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Let's pray even as we come now to our time of response. Our God, thank you for this time that we've had to look at John 17. And we thank you that even as we pray at this moment, the Lord Jesus is praying for us. We ask that his prayer would be becoming real to us today, that we would be a community rooted in the finished work of Jesus, that we would rest in his love for us, his accomplishment on our behalf. And we pray now that in this time of response, you would move powerfully, that by the power of your spirit, the love of Jesus would not be just an abstract idea, but would be an experienced reality. We pray this together for your glory and for our good as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.